Hey, Steve. Hey, Solomon. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you pretty good. How about okay, you? Perfect. I'm actually um, on my phone. Um, I'm, I'm on the road, but I'm, I'm pulled over and I'm in a quiet <laughs> So you just have to let me know um, if you can hear this okay. I'll, I'll try my best to do the adjustments. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. Okay, fantastic. Okay. So you're doing good? How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Just another one of those days. You get up early in the morning, start the day, and uh, you know you take every moment as it comes. I just want to thank you for coming on the show, number one. Um, it's, it's actually really exciting for me to have someone as experienced as you uh, come onto the show and, and, and help kind of spread your knowledge of, uh, of kettlebells and, and gear voice sport with the rest of the North American populace. Well, thank you very much. I'm very honored and certainly humbled um, to be here. And, um, you know, just like everyone else, I'm still a student. I'm, I'm learning every day from, from everyone. And if I can um, share some of my experiences with, um, with your audience and if they can take away something positive from it, then that would be a, a great experience for me. You know, and that's a great uh, philosophy, and I really try to instill that in my students as well. You know, student for life. There's always something new you can learn. Um, what Absolutely. I'd, what I'd like to uh, – let's just start off talking a little bit about uh, the facility as it is right now. Why don't you just kind of briefly describe uh, the ice chamber as a, as a training facility? What's it sure. like there? Yeah, so the ice chamber is a 7,000-square-foot uh, um, performance facility, and it's set up – in a way um, so that we can facilitate large classes as well as one-on-one uh, -on -one training. The purpose or the intention of the facility is to provide ample space and equipment uh, so that people can train um, functionally um, using um, movements as the basis for health um, and then uh, also provide um, the clientele and the customer base there with the knowledge um, as well as the equipment for them to um, enhance performance across all levels of athleticism. Um, doesn't matter if they're coming back from an injury or if they've never exercised before, um, we still treat them the same way in which we treat an, uh, an elite athlete who's going to the Olympics. Um, the only difference is that we would scale the programming down to an appropriate level uh, for those individuals. I like that you make that point. Yeah, that's, uh, that's something I like to uh, express with my training as well is that, you know, uh, good positions are good positions. Good technique is good technique. You know, there shouldn't really be a huge difference between what we teach our, our, our novices and what we teach our elites. Um, at the end of the day, they're going to learn, learn the same movements. It's just, you know, how intense can they be? How much load can they handle? And so it's important to scale with, in that respect. And that's absolutely correct. That, that is a philosophy that I think um, should be adopted by everyone. Just ultimately, uh, movement is movement. And as long as we are doing things that aren't uh, going against the laws of physics and hurting our bodies, the default mold is going to be progress. Absolutely. Uh, what programs do you offer?
So we offer a very large array of programming. Um, we have boot camps in the mornings. Um, we have personal training throughout the day. We have um, very sports specific programming as well, um, such as kettlebell lifting um, for competition, Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting. We have um, uh, teen classes which is geared towards uh, group sports of uh, various types. We have um, indoor cycling. We have um, restorative classes, which really focus uh, focuses on um, uh, full body restoration using the Agoscu method as well as deep tissue and foam rolling. Um, we have, <laughs> the list goes on, we have uh, a reboot class, which is geared towards um, special populations, um, it's, it's really quite extensive. We, we really try to look at, as, at, at our facility as a hub uh, that um, anyone, um, regardless of status, condition, or lifestyle, can come and see progress um, through um, you know, physiological changes and, and also mental and spiritual health as well. And how exactly does kettlebell sport fit into the gym programming? Is that... Uh, obviously, when I think of the ice chamber, I think kettlebells, but that might be completely different to people in the area who know the gym, who go there for those other uh, realms of fitness. So uh, do you do you guys introduce kettlebells into, into the other programming, or do you strictly just uh, do, um, introduce it to people as, uh, as a gear voice sport, the sport-based thing, and, and don't really – I mean, do you incorporate it in your, your cross-training classes? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, and I think you nailed it right on. I think the Ice Chamber is really known internationally as a Gear Voice sports team. Um, however, in the local area, we're, we're really uh, more renowned as a um, functional fitness facility. So um, we do separate um, the programs. So the people that come and the, the general population that comes and they're looking for functional fitness, we, we will use the kettlebell as a tool in uh, the various classes. However, with regards to um, the technical intricacies, we, we pretty much reserve that for the kettlebell lifting classes. And, and the conversion rate just happens naturally because, um, you know, we have our team is, is a very good team and, and, and they're recognizable. So people see um, our, our lifters and they, they see the improvements and they see the, the happiness that they get from um, uh, competing in kettlebells and they ask questions. And so one thing leads to another. And, you know, word of mouth is the most powerful form of advertising. So the, the Gear Voice Sport portion of our program just e eventually would just, you know, um, market itself and and that's how people convert into the kettlebell lifting and that's interesting what uh, so what kind of conversion rate are we looking at here because uh i mean how many people are are still very you know apprehensive about getting into the sport aspect are they are they more turned off or, or vice versa turned on by the competition aspect after they've been doing the uh cross training stuff for a while and, and they see that gear voice sport or, um, you know, how do they, how do they make tra that transition and who are the people who, who don't? Sure. That's a, that's a really good question. So, you know, um, out of everyone that does, um, our, uh, kettlebell lifting classes, I would say, you know, we have probably 60, 70% that will compete. 
uh, on a consistent basis. Now that still leaves about 30 to 40% of people really just loving the sport for all of the other attributes, such as, um, you know, learning to focus under stress, learning to, uh, lift weights using a fluid, um, fluid forms using a learning good technique. So they really enjoy, um, attributes that are outside of the competitive sphere. So, um, you know, I would say that maybe those people will probably never compete, but it hasn't stopped them from coming to class and really being, um, around the energy of the competitive lifters. And, you know, another thing is that, um, the, the population that comes to the ice chamber, they tend to be, um, uh, an educated group, which means that they have, they will have already done the research prior to, to joining us. So they know that, you know, we have all of these programs that we offer and they, you know, by the time they join, they will have already looked up what gear voice sport is. And, you know, they, 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 if, if there are any questions, they'll tend to ask and we, we, we give a very thorough explanation of what it is and we'll explain to them and say, Hey, this is, this is very good for your body overall. Um, it is an athletic sport, but that doesn't mean that you have to compete. So competing is optional. And how many of, uh, of your clients come from like a pre-competitive background? So like, do you have a bunch of cyclists who compete that, that come in and, and they make that transition? Or do you have a lot of couch potatoes who are literally going from doing nothing to doing something? Yeah, that's a good question as well. I would say, you know, 50%, I mean, I, I, at least 50% of the people coming in um, have either taken um, an hiatus from um, athletic activities or they've, they've never really, you know, been into uh, consistent exercise. So those people, um, they do tend to have a very high conversion rate into doing um, something athletically consistent and, and competitive. We, we have groups of people that are very high level athletes that have come in from, like you said, cycling, um, judo, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and, and those people will naturally gravitate towards uh, something competitive. So I would say at this point, it's probably 50-50. And let's talk uh, gender and age demographic. What, uh, what's that split? like at your gym? Yeah. So I would say, um, percentage wise, we're 70%, uh, female, um, age groups. We have, um, kids as young as five, six years old and the most mature person, um, that is actively competing. Uh, she is, uh, I don't want to, don't quote me on this, but I'm going to say 68, but she's closer to the seventies. Is that Karen? Yes, it is. Yeah, I, I uh, yeah, I found some information about her on on your site. And I was going to ask you about that. Um, in my experience, back uh, I'm from originally from London, Ontario, and the uh-huh. cross training gym that I went to, where I was first exposed to kettlebells. When I the first time I went in there, it's it's run by uh, a guy who's uh, a bit older. He's been around for a while. He has his BSc in kinesiology and he did some bodybuilding back in the day and and but he's always been kind of heavily into martial arts and and combat sports as well aikido and and things of that nature he's also big into club bells now when i went in there the first thing i noticed was i i'm the youngest person in here by 20 years easy and and i'm the only one (laughs) every everyone else like in a room of you know 10 15 20 people 
uh, they're all 40, 50 plus. Uh-huh. Do you, do you find that that's, um, I mean, is that, do you think older, older people gravitate to kettlebells naturally? Do you think uh, it's a very complimentary sport for seniors in general? Or, uh, you know, what's your take on that? Yeah, that's, that's, I do believe that. I think that um, kettlebell sport lifting is a very safe sport for um, uh, really folks of any age group, um, particularly those that are a bit more mature because, you know, we're, we're looking at something that is considered a, a high intensity exercise that is low risk in the sense that you're not um, pounding your joints out on the pavement by running marathons. You're not, um, you know, you're not boxing someone. Someone is going to punch you in the face. You're not getting thrown on the ground because you have to grapple somebody. So ultimately it is a, it is a high intensity sport that um, has you playing against yourself. And, you know, and that also brings about uh, a whole other uh, complex issues of like, you know, um, strategic psychological strategies, um, stress management, all of these things that um, that challenge uh, folks in a way that competitive competitive sports do, but without the you know serious risk of injuries. And I and I think that's um, a good example of how uh, personal trainers and and athletes. Uh, over time become really good life coaches because they they've trained themselves to face adversity on on a regular basis that's right um so that's a perfect segue into what i want to talk about next which is just uh technique as a coach you know uh and this doesn't have to just necessarily apply to kettlebells but i mean what is good technique versus bad technique how do you identify that with say a new client sure i think um you know i think oftentimes we get caught up into, um, you know, forms and, and what is right and what is wrong. And this person said this, and this coach said that, and you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You know, ultimately, you know, every, every individual has, um, unique attributes that are specific to them. And, you know, as for myself, my philosophy is that, you know, there are, you know, the laws of physics and there are, um, uh, something, uh, you know, e- economies of motion. And as a person that's done a lot of different things in my life, you know, I, I think it's important to keep our minds open into, um, seeing really, re- really looking at the person that you're training and, and looking at that person's, um, limitations, um, current limitations and understanding how you can help that person, um, go beyond those limitations through, um, safe physical movements that are, you know, going with the laws of physics and not, a, not against it. And then also using common sense, using, you know, a deductive reasoning, using logic. Um, so it doesn't always have to be like, you know, well, this coach said that, and you should never, ever do this. You know, I've seen human beings do some amazing, amazing stuff. Have you ever been to Cirque du Soleil and you, you watch some of those Absolutely. people do things that, you know, I would probably assume that a lot of coaches will say you should never, ever do that. That's going to be too hard on your back. You should never do this. You know, I, I am a firm believer in, um, in, in, in the, in the op- optimistic viewpoints, like why not, you know, unless you give me 
a a logical reasons as to why somebody can't do this, I'm going to say, well, let's try, but let's do it in a way that's going to be uh, safe and progressive. So I think that, you know, that viewpoint um, should be endorsed by more people as opposed to a viewpoint of like, you know, I learned from this person, this person said you should never do sit-ups because sit-ups are bad for your back or you should never, you know, swing a kettlebell because you're over the age of 40 and kettlebells are too ballistic for your spine. Um, you know, it's just, there's a lot of dogma out there and I would just encourage coaches to think outside the box and, and, and use logic. And if you can support your, your thesis, if you can support your theory logically and, and it makes sense, why not? Yeah. And obviously we want to err on the side of, of, um, caution when we're training, but at the same time, we still want to, we don't want to push ourselves past our own limits, but we do want to push ourselves towards our limits and, and try to, you know, increase work capacity, increase, you know, um, cardiovascular health, all that kind of stuff. And especially yeah, with, uh, with kettlebell sports, I mean, I'm not advocating that, you know, we go out there and do like a workout of the day and try to, and try to prove ourselves and, and, and throw up, but there's no, there's really no point in, in doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I am advocating that, you know, you, you do things that are, that are, that makes sense, you know, just some basic street smarts, you know, and, and, but at the same time that requires also some basic knowledge of physiology and and physics as well. So there is a fine line. Yeah, totally. And, and sometimes there's that disconnect, even with other coaches of other sports who they'll look at, they might look at uh, something like kettlebell sport and have a certain opinion of it, but they've never tried it and they don't really kind of know the nuances that, that make it unique. And when you look at, you know, someone in a, like a male in a, in a jerk position or even a female, and, and there's that, that slumpy kind of slouchy kind of look to that, uh, that rack position. Um, the way I try to explain it to my, uh, to my students is that, listen, good form can be defined as minimizing uh, internal and external forces. And when you're in that rack position, that is what accomplishes that. Absolutely. You know, all you have to do is just take a survey across all sports. And if you really wanted to be dogmatic, you can probably pick out, you know, 10 things from every sport that you can say, Oh, that is a bad form. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. ultimately, like you said, you got to look at, you got to look at what the, first of all, the intention of the movement or the position. Mm -hmm. And second of all, what is the best, most efficient way to minimize, to, to maximize output from that position and minimize injury in that position. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Um, one thing I like to think about is, um, is efficiency versus economy. Uh, one quick example would be like kipping pull-ups, for example, um, Adding a kip can increase your workout economy, but if you start to load that pull-up, it's not very efficient. You can't really kip with, you know, 25, 35, 45 pounds hanging from your waist. You That's would right. Ha- you would have to exercise those basic pulling mechanics to be more efficient at it, to get more bang for your buck in terms That's of right. uh, that intensity. So. And sometimes we just get too caught up with, you know, what's the most economical way to move? You know, what's the way I can move by putting the least amount of effort in as opposed to what I can, how I should move to get the most out of it. That's right. And there's also, and there's also progression as well. And I think that in order for someone to really be 
good and efficient at something, you've got to you've got to do it progressively. I mean, you, you know, things that we do in sports require, you know, um, an understanding of, you know, lever points. And, you know, in, in your example of the kipping pull up there. Yeah. If you're a light person and your center of mass is relatively high and you're, you know, relatively light. And when I say relatively light, I mean, like, you know, maybe under 170 pounds or so. But you start changing those variables around and you start doing a kipping pull up and you don't you haven't yet developed the joint integrity and you happen to be a long person, a long person with long levers, then there is going to be a problem. So it's always going to be case by case basis. And it's, you know, it's actually fascinating to me how often people make blanket statements just based on, oh, well, that's more economical. But is it? I mean, have you looked at it for, for that particular individual that's doing it? Mm-hmm. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But, you know, that's uh, that's a different topic, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you make that point. Um, so more kettlebell specific. Uh, why don't you give us a um, an idea? What are the, some, some of the common uh, uh, mistakes or, or learning curves that uh, the new students need to um, kind of figure out and, and, and work around? Solomon, could you uh, repeat that question? Yeah. What are some of the uh, common mistakes you learn with first-time lifters? Sure. Uh, I think one of the misconceptions about um, kettlebell sport is that it's a uh, uh, strength sport alone. Um, And it really isn't. The the kettlebell sport is really a a, a cyclical uh, endurance strength sport. It's probably more akin to rowing than anything else, where you're trying to... um, uh, exert uh, efficient output and power uh, per per effort, and you're trying to sustain that over a a, a long amount of time. It's a very so, very unique uh, kind of blend of energy systems you're using there. Yeah, very 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 unique. Um, and and you know, and unlike rowing, you are you are standing up. So you know, you have to um, develop first and foremost, and this is probably more akin to, uh, boxing or judo or, or kickboxing where you really have to understand ground force reaction. So, uh, so unlike being, you know, seated in, in a boat and, and you have, um, you know, currents and water and, and things that are, that are movable, you are in a closed chain situation where you're, you're connected to the ground and your, your ability to feel the ground and to generate energy from the ground it's, it's, it's paramount. And if you think about kettlebell sport as a, as a strict strength sport, and you're trying to grind these things up there, um, you're probably not going to last very long. And that's, that's the, the main, um, the main mistake that I see from people that are entering the sport who, um, who are lacking those general principles. Mm-hmm. I, you, and you can tell right away when someone's really good at uh at a sport when they make it look effortless and and that and that goes along with that idea that you know it's not strictly a strength sport where you know the and the goal might be to to max out or to you know to to work out as intensely as you can where you know kettlebell is about endurance right it's about longevity it's about uh technique and and if you're doing it correctly you shouldn't look like you're surviving your set you should definitely look like you're, you're executing your set with uh, competence. 
And, and that's right. And, and it's like, if you think about, if you think about sprinters, you know, that are, you know, they're coming to the finish line and it's the, it's, it's the last 100 meters. It's, it's not about like, Oh, I have to be stronger and more powerful at the last 100 meters. No, it's just about maintaining that technique for the last 100. Cause by that time, you know, you're pretty toasted. And, and the person who has the capacity to maintain the form and the technique is going to be the person that's going to win. And that's very similar to kettlebell sport, right? Every, every rep ideally theoretically should be the same from start to finish. If, if the capacity is there. And the amusing irony is that if you got two people finishing the finish, crossing the finish line at the same time, and one person's got amazing biomechanics, their strides good, they look great, and the other person's running like they're like they look like they're running from bees, and their arms are flailing around. The person who has more potential is the person whose technique is not good, because if you can improve that, then they'll be that much better. That's right, and 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 you know, to your statement, that person who has the better technique will then go on to improve his and her time you know, over the course of his and her career, which it were as the person who's coming in with the you know, misalignment and the flail, flailing arms, that person would probably have to go back to the drawing board to um, work on those mechanics you know, before, before improving. Yeah, as well as potentially have to work around some, some injuries that may be looming in the future. Um, yeah. From the coach's point of view, how, how would you help a student overcome uh, issues like developing that ground force reaction and, and, and getting out of thinking, it, thinking of it as an open chain exercise and getting them to recruit their hips and, and so forth? Yeah, so, you know, for people that are, are new to the sport and uh, uh, potentially haven't done um, something like this in the past, you know, we, we really do spend a lot of time on using... Uh, the lightest weight possible, or even no weight, and we're just we're just starting with movement. We're we're um, trying to get them to understand that there needs to be um, a shift. There needs to be a a change in in uh, in the ground force that they're generating. A change in um, their center of gravity. There needs to be movement in stillness. So it's not just you know one lever that's going through the sagittal plane back and forth. There's all these rotational forces that are happening too. So we really try to emulate that for them, have them see it and have them mimic those movement patterns prior to using a weight as a reference of progress. Yeah, it all, it, it all starts with movement, right? And, and I think Pavel uh, said it best where he's like, it's not about the kettlebell. We just use it as a tool to see how you move. That's right. Um, now, why, um, so we'll come back around to something that uh, you brought up a little bit earlier when, when you brought up uh, the martial arts and whatnot. How do kettlebells compare to combat sports? And why are kettlebells, why do they seem so popular in those circles? I mean, you've got you know, Steve Maxwell, Steve Cotter, Scott Sonnen, Sean Mosin, and, and uh, you know, they get, the kettlebells get you know, uh, further um, popularity through uh, publications like On It Magazine. Um, mm -hmm. why are they so popular with those guys? Well, I, I believe that, you know, um, the attraction is there because, you know, martial arts, it's, it's all about, you know, moving through time and space in a way where you're more advantageous than, than someone else. And in order to, to lift a kettlebell properly, you have to do the same thing. It's about you moving yourself and the kettlebell follows along. And, and unlike, other um, uh, strength building exercises, um, the kettlebell moves ballistically. 
And, and in order to, to master those movements, you have to master yourself first and foremost. And then there's the, the, the other piece of it too, which is um, the mental psychological piece, right? If you're, if you're a combat uh, athlete, you know, a great percentage uh, of your time is, is actually spent in the, in the mental or, or psychological world, uh, the spiritual world, even Mm -hmm. where you have to be, you know, thinking positive things. You have to outlast the opponent. And there's a, a really good analogy with, with kettlebells and, um, and Fyodor Fuglif said this, it's like, you know, he's like, when you rack two kettlebells, you know, uh, on your hips, you, you want to put them down because they're heavy. But, you know, in, in a, in a war context, you have no choice. You have to see this through. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of sort of, uh, uh, analogies that can be tied between, you know, uh, a martial sport, you know, a martial activities and, and what you experience as an individual lifting the kettlebells. And what do you think about um, fighters using kettlebells as a correlate for a lot of the, the fighting movements? I actually have a couple of DVDs I got from the My, My Mad magazine where they're, um, they're, they're kind of like, um, I don't know, fighter martial art boot camps, so to speak, that, that utilize uh-huh. light, light kettlebells. What's your take on that? Um, I, I think it's fine. You know, in that context, they're just using um, a kettlebell as a tool to simulate movements or sports specific movements that may be relevant to what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, that being said, you know, I think you can pick up a rock and do the same thing. You can pick up a a dumbbell and do the same thing. Um, uh, there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but that being said, that is different than, um, you know, the concept of gear voice sport. The context of gear voice sport is that you have, um, these parameters that you have to survive under and, and you are training yourself to, um, to best your own limits within those parameters. If you're using a kettlebell simply as a tool to, um, simulate sports specific movements in other sports, I think, um, that's great, but it doesn't provide the same context. And maybe it, it dishonors the potential of the implement. Uh, <laughs> Solomon, what are you trying to get me to say, man? Uh, <laughs> you know, you know that <laughs> I think it, it, it I, well, I'm biased. I definitely love kettlebell sport. And I think that if you're going to use a kettlebell, that's an awesome full expression of, of, uh, of a ballistic, uh, uh, implement such as, such as a kettlebell. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm gonna go out on a limb, and I'm gonna say that I agree with you. Those are my personal biases as well. But like I said, I, I, I don't want to discourage people from doing what they're doing. You know, more power to you. But like I said, you can do the same thing with a rock, with a, with a can, a bottle of water. I mean, if you're just wanting to hold something in your hands to simulate sport-specific movements, by all means, do so. But you know, kettlebell sport in itself is a beautiful art, and you know, there's something to be said about honoring that uh, totally totally i agree I, I, it's it's kind of funny and sometimes i look at it uh from the from the opposite side is that you know you can use a kettlebell as a correlate for martial arts movement but um one of the best uh uh cleaning cleaning a kettlebell cues that i heard was when um Gosh, I forget his name. He's the guy from CrossFit who does a lot of their kettlebell stuff. But he's like, you know, think about uh, that, that fighting stance. Sorry? You're talking about Jeff Martone? Yes, correct. 
Huh? Uh, think about that fighting stance and 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 doing like an uppercut when you when you're coming from the back swing swing and that bell's coming up. Think about you know shooting that elbow through much like you would like an uppercut. And and that's I, I find that holds true because it's you really want to get that elbow moving quickly to position your arm under the bell as opposed to you know using that uh, using your hand and trying to lift the kettlebell. Sometimes I use that cue with a lot of beginners just to help them get right. into that position and and utilize that speed and quickness that they really need. Right. So um, so uh, that that's actually a good segue for the next question. Why do you think CrossFitters haven't moved, haven't really moved beyond the overhead uh, or American swing? Because even with uh, when they do their, they'll do some unilateral snatching in, uh, in their regional events. They'll, I've only really seen them do it with a dumbbell. Why do you think that is? Um, I think it's it's probably two parts. I think there's some dogma involved as well. You know, it's you know. Uh, Greg Glassman is not a it's 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 not a secret that he's he's come out you know way back in the days and just you know had said that you know there's nothing special about kettlebells it's just a tool and and what you want to do is you want to create the the widest range of motion possible to exert as much energy as possible and there's really um I, he said that barbells are superior to kettlebells and so there is that dogma as well um, I don't think that there's any comparison. It's like saying what's better, uh, uh, or judo or Muay Thai. You know, it's like it's 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 silly. Um, but you know, kettlebell sport, gear voice sport, requires a significant amount of time in training a skill set. Um, and I think because of the nature of CrossFit, where you are trying to show that you can be um, the fastest person every day. The, the person that lifts the most weight every day or the person that's going to set a PR every day, that goes against the logical progressive programming of kettlebell lifting, which is, you know, which is, uh, you know, building skill, building endurance, um, building strength and power. And through time, you test that in a competitive environment. So there are some, you know, philosophical uh, contradictions between um, CrossFit and, um, gear of voice sport. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that it, like with, uh, kettlebells. Like I, I mean, even in kettlebells and, and, and gear of voice sport, maybe just in, maybe it's just a North American thing, but people still get caught up with PRs, but I think CrossFit in gen in, in particular, and a lot of powerlifters, uh, very PR driven, and, uh, and that's something that's heavily dependent on your neurological system. And, you know, some days you feel great, some days you don't. And it's really, it can often be dependent just on how you feel that day, whether you're going to PR or not. And it reminds me of that quote where, you know, we are what we repeatedly do and act and excellence is therefore not an act, but a habit. And I think kettlebells, uh, f- fall, uh, neatly in line with that, with that quote in that I think about my kettlebell history and, and I don't really think about the numbers. I just think, okay, last year I was working a lot with uh, the the twenty kg, and and this year I'm spending a lot. I'm spending you know more of my training time, ninety percent of my training time with the twenty four kg, and it's almost like phases that I think about instead of and that natural progression instead of numbers and PRs. Yeah, I, I agree. 
you know, it's uh, it's interesting. I, we we just released an article on the ICKB Girl site uh, this morning about um, ranks, belts, and you know what, what what all that means within kettlebells and within the kettlebell sport context. So we talk a little bit about that as well. Um, but you know, you're right. You if you look at if you look at uh, uh, shoot, go back to combative arts for 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 a second. If somebody is you know trying to knock your head off every day in sparring and your intention is to knock their head off every day in sparring. I mean, how long do you think you're going to last? Um, there are, you know, there, there's, there is a time to spar at like, you know, 30%. There's a time to spar at 80%. But if you spar at a hundred percent every day, it's just not conducive to, you know, healthy physiological development. And, and not to mention the havoc that's going to wreck onto your ner- nervous central nervous system. You know, just going all out every single day without the regards for, you know, so many of the components that make up the total athlete. It's just um, I think it's it's an oversight personally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, do you think um, I, I want to get uh, back on to the specifics of training uh, with kettlebells, more specifically gear voice sport? Um, one thing that didn't really occur to me and, until recently was that. Um, one of the limitations of, of, of training, um, just strictly gear voice sport movements is that you can really only get unilateral from the waist up. I mean, true. There are nuances with, you know, uh, um, force, uh, 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 transition across, you know, the driving foot across the glute into the, you know, across the fascial line into the opposite Latin. Obviously you're, you're kind of training in that, in that cross that cross pattern transitioning force from one side to the other. But, but really when you think about it, you're just standing with two feet on the floor and, and you're exercising from there. So I think definitely a benefit for a lot of people who do a lot of gear voice sport is, is to get into doing a lot of single leg work. Um, so, you know, what's your take on that? I I believe that. I definitely believe that, you know, all, all the single leg movements, um, not only provide, um, you know, all of the benefits that you've just described, but we're also talking about building unilateral stability, which is important when you're talking about, you know, single snatch, uh, you know, doing snatches, um, um, you know, also, also providing, um, just a sense of balance and, and, and base it's, uh, again, we keep going back to martial arts, but there's a lot of similarities. If you look at the footwork of, um, uh, judo players and the footwork of really good boxers and kickboxers, there is that constant transfer of, uh, of, of weight from one side to the other side. So single leg work is definitely conducive to helping, um, you know, maximize those forces. Steve, I really appreciate you, uh, sharing your knowledge on, on training. Let's move on to, uh, the kettlebell girls and, uh, and the, the, the ice chamber as, uh, as um as it is now how did the ice chamber uh come to be exactly um the ice chamber as a as an, uh, as a like training an, as an entity as an entity ice chamber as an entity came to be uh my wife maya actually started a personal training business um out of our backyard um many many years ago over a decade ago and that sort of um sparked about um through her personal um, journeys with, um, physical development. You know, she had, um, previously had a miscarriage and she, you know, was, you know, 
into this transformative stage in her life where she really wanted to improve her physical health. Um, that passion led to her training other people. Um, uh, not long, I, you know, joined in and we decided that we were going to, um, you know, see if we can make this into a business. And, um, unfortunately as the universe would have it, we were lucky and successful into, um, in developing a very grassroots based, um, community of people that wanted to, um, achieve maximum physical health. So that's how the entity came to be. Um, the ice chamber, uh, kettlebell girls that sort of came as a, uh, and as a, as a consequence of, uh, the girls doing a lot of competitions and a lot of traveling, um, back in the days where a kettlebell lifting was not popular and was more seen as just this obscure thing. Um, I still remember going to meets where there were, you know, five, 10, 15 people. Uh, nowadays, you know, there are so many meets, you, you can't keep track of them. There's probably four to five meets every week. If you look at the gear voice sport calendar, that's online. Um, so I, I think you, that people just getting into it don't really know how fortunate they are these days to, to have those competitions. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And that's, and that's really how the girls, uh, gained their notoriety. You know, they were, um, you know, at, at the point at, at that time, they were, you know, they were just respected for their consistency and their perseverance. And, you know, they, they earned a sponsorship through Athleta and Gap. That was really the first, um, team that was sponsored by the company. And that gave us a lot of press. And, you know, from there on, people would just recognize, um, the individual members of the ice chamber um, kettlebell team as, as, as a singular entity, the ice chamber kettlebell girls. And I suppose the rest is um, history, so to, say, so to speak. What's the origin of the name? I bet a lot of people, you know, want to know about that. Yeah. So there's a short story and there's a long story. There's a, the short story is that um, we are currently, uh, our facility is currently located in the um, old, Coors Beers Refrigeration Warehouse. Prior to prior to these beer companies having refrigeration in their trucks, they would offload all these beers into um, strategically located um, refrigeration uh, warehouses, and our gym happens to be in one of them. So it fits nicely. But the name came really came about um, many decades prior. I was in the music business, and that really was the name of my music studio, Ice Chamber. Oh, it's cool. just, uh, it was a catchy little name and, you know, it, it, it rings and, and we, we kept it. Uh, is the logo the same? The logo is different. This, this logo was, um, actually conceived by a very good friend of mine. He's, uh, I don't know if anyone's into hip hop culture, but his name is Shingle, Shingle One is a very, um, famous, uh, rapper out of Japan, hip hop artist. <laughs> graphic as well as hip-hop artists that's cool uh now as far as the ice chamber kettlebell girls go w would you consider um the, the team itself would you consider it groundbreaking would you consider it historic i mean um they were at at the one they might even still be the 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 only you know i guess all-american master of sport kind of 
kettlebell team is, you know, it, how do you, you know, perceive that? Is that historic or what? Yeah. So I'm going to say this obviously with a lot of bias. I, I, I believe so. I believe that, um, you know, from my personal experience of talking to so many people from around the world who've, you know, who've told me that, you know, the ice chamber girls were one of the reasons why they've, um, you know, uh, still are involved in kettlebell sport and originally sparked their interest. I think prior to the kettle, uh, prior to the ice chamber kettlebell girls, the, um, the references in kettlebell sport were, were males and, and it, it, it's the, the, the imagery didn't resonate with a lot of people, uh, be it male or females. I think the ice chamber girls, um, created, um, a, uh, an imagery where people felt like they couldn't come into the sport and achieve great things as well. It's, uh, it, it's funny when I competed at, uh, the Victoria competition back in, <clears throat> I guess it was, uh, 2013 probably. Um, after, after the competition, um, Maya, uh, came up to me and she said, you know, your technique's pretty good, pretty good. Who'd you learn from? And I'm like, you guys, I watched your YouTube videos. <laughs> That's uh, hilarious. Yeah. When I, when I got hooked on kettlebells, man, I, I, I'm one of those people who will just, uh, I get eccentric when I learn new things and, and I try to just learn everything I can about it. Uh, uh once I, once I kind of discover it and, and the 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 YouTube videos that you guys uh, put up really helped me out a lot, and I spent a lot of time reviewing those and and the technique video as well. And I still refer that video uh, to uh, students and and others. So, well, thank think, you very much. We appreciate that. It's, I think it was just immensely immensely helpful. I think it's really important that that content is out there because even still, there's really not a whole lot of of that kind of stuff, even on YouTube. Yeah, I agree. I think that there, there, there is um, not a whole lot of information out there um, that fits the context of Western uh, lifters. I think there are a lot of videos out there um, that um, document um, lifting culture and lifting lifestyles of um, Eastern European lifters from Russia and Ukraine and so forth. But in terms of the context that would resonate with say, you know, someone like yourself or Rachel, I think that context is lacking. And I, and I, and again, going back to the ice chamber kettlebell girls, I, I do think that, you know, they were the first ones to really provide that context for the Western lifters. Mm-hmm. Uh, give me the skinny on the new rising stars who who's, you know, who's uh, set up to be the, the new kettlebell girls right now. Sure. Um, well, well, you know, Melissa Swanson is the best. She's um, uh, ab- she's in- incredible. That actually Melissa is uh is Rachel's absolute fave, like biggest inspiration. Every every time though uh we see Melissa, I'm like uh man, she's just like a terminator and I always get that that terminator kind of uh theme in my head whenever I see Melissa cuz she's just so <laughs> focused in her sets. She yeah, looks she looks like is, uh, a, she's got that cyborg work capacity, right? That's right. Melissa, Melissa is very unique. I think Melissa is the best um, for a number of reasons. Um, you know, again, I'm going to say this with a lot of biasness. I think Melissa has the best technique, hands down, across the board. Um, 
And it doesn't matter if you're looking at a Russian lifter or, or an American lifter. Um, I believe Melissa's technique to be the best. And, and she is just getting started. She's Melissa's only been lifting for, you know, maybe four years. So, you know, she, she earned her master of sport, um, not too long ago. And, and the master of sport rank is really just the beginning, right? The black belt is just the beginning of the journey. So we are going to see, um, some great things coming out of Melissa, um, um, besides Melissa, you know, you, 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 you have, you, you have all the gatekeepers like Jen Cord. She's a phenomenal lifter. She's awesome uh, as well. Absolutely. Uh, Sarah, Jessica and Saria, who's been lifting for a long time are also, you know, consistent with their numbers and they're, they're great role models. Um, Brittany Van Strajendijk, um, she, she is phenomenal. She's a young lifter. She's believe Brittany's only 22. She's really this- risen fast. Yeah, Brittany's really risen fast. You'll see some great things coming from Brittany. Um, you know, I'm going to say that if I had to put money on uh, a couple of people within the next um, 12 to 24 months, it would be Riley Reeves. She's 14 right now. Um, she's, you know, just breaking records right and left. And uh, the thing about Riley is that her love for kettlebells is just unconditional. She really loves what she does and she has a lot of fun with it. Um, there is Riley's teammate, Miranda, who, um, probably doesn't have as much notoriety as Riley, but Miranda, she's 15 and she is just a phenomenal person all around and her technique is superb. So you'll see some great things from her. Both Riley and Miranda are already CMS. Mm -hmm. So hopefully within the next 12 months, we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, because they're still teenagers, we don't want to push them too fast and, and, and risk injury and so forth. But as long as, you know, all of the structural and physiological stuff is intact, you should be able to see some good things from them. Um, and one more person that I have to mention, uh, and not very many people know of her in this realm is, um, Sayaka Tora. She was actually in the 2008 Olympics in judo as Sayaka Matsumoto. She just picked up the sport a little bit over, uh, a year ago, and she already has the 16 kilo snatch record for the 58 kilogram weight class, um, in America. And, and she just, um, you know, as you've mentioned, she's somebody that, that comes into the sport with a lot of experience in terms of, um, you know, mentality and psychology. And she's another one with great work capacity. Her tempo is, is, uh, is pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And she's like, she is a fighter to the end. You'll see, you'll see that fighter really come out in the last 45 seconds of her set. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. um, there's a, and you know, and every day we see like new rising stars. It's just that it's very infectious when you, when you're training around, um, such, um, not only just, you know, good lifters, but all of the people that I've mentioned, and I'll say this for, you know, everyone that's training with us, they're, they're just really good people. And I think that is that is the core to um, leaving a legacy and having longevity in any sport. It's like you you want to be around a bunch of great people, and 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 that's what they are. Yeah, I I, I agree. You know, I was I, I'm disappointed because I was I was waiting. I saw uh, Miranda achieve her CMS uh, in Las Vegas, and. And I snapped a photo of her on her very last repetition when she locked it out. And I have her, uh, her clock in frame. And it says 100 repetitions. And the time is 
And so I, I, oh, I love that photograph. Well, I was waiting for it to go viral and it never did. <laughs> oh, you should send it to us and we'll, we'll, we'll be sure to cite you as, as the source. And, and she would love to see that. Yeah, that was, uh, that was an awesome moment. That was really incredible to see. I'm glad I was there. Well, thank you. That was a, that was one of the, um, greatest moments of, of my coaching experience is, is just to see that because in training she had been working really hard but never even came close to the cms requirement which is like you know i, I believe it was 92 reps but on game day um you know miranda is another one of those i mean she really turns it on on game day mm-hmm. um and and there are others like fallon fallon bachelor she's incredible she's another one that's uh she's cms and she is pretty you know getting really close to her MS numbers. And she's another one that's just, you know, on game day, she turns it on. And I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, of going all out on, on game day. Like I'll never in training, I will seldom if ever do a full, uh, like mock competition set. Um, I always trust in my training. I trust in my progression. I trust in my periodization and go into game day, you know, just uh, having faith in myself and confidence in myself and, uh, and just kind of leave it all out on the platform. But, uh, I know that some people don't, don't share that, uh, that, uh, that idea of, of, of going into competition, not really knowing what'll happen, but right. You know, maybe it's just me. Uh, so moving right along, um, I, I would like to get your take on this. Does the does the East Coast stack up to all the West Coast talent? I I don't know if, if you if you <laughs> Sorry, you're killing me. Come on, man! I you, uh, you got to fill us in. Okay, on all right. I, I'm gonna throw the gauntlet down. I'm gonna say the West Coast. I'm gonna say the West Coast carries the weight in terms of if we were to go head to head. I think uh, my money's gonna be on the West Coast. I'm I'm home team biased. Attaboy. boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I, I, think I wouldn't it, disagree with that. I wouldn't I wouldn't bet money against you. Yeah, I think I think it would be neat to have a North American East versus West team competition. That if there would was be really cool. an opportunity to make that happen, what we, we would do is we would, you know, regionally select like two people from each region and just form the the West Coast team versus the East Coast team, and then we have the all-star game. <laughs> that would be awesome. But uh yeah, I don't know if our ratings will be good as hockey, but you know. <laughs> we, can, we can always see. Um, let's get uh, into uh, you know the regulatory side. What's your relationship like with the American Kettlebell Alliance as, as well as the International Union? And how and when did all that political and regulatory framework become part of the, the ice chamber uh, legacy? So like, how did you make that transition from just being a gym into you know being uh, basically a, a, a regional? um hub for uh for a gear voice sport sure so you know so prior to uh, the american kettlebell alliance we were affiliated with the wkc and we would um you know really wave that flag and support their competitions but you know that ended so when that ended the logical step uh was to go with american kettlebell alliance those guys have really done an amazing job of promoting the sport you know it's probably grown tenfold since uh, since the, uh, the inception of the AKA and, you know, ultimately, you know, I would like to see kettlebell sport as one unified sport. And that's really the only way to elevate something into, um, 
you know, the international spotlight, you know, like, you know, there's an international judo federation, there's an international weightlifting federation and the IUKL is the international union of kettlebell lifting. So right now, you know, they, they are the sanctioning body for the best kettlebell lifters in the world. And if, if you're someone that's serious about the sport, um, and the sport alone, forget about the politics, you're going to naturally want to gravitate towards, um, a competition venue where the best athletes compete. So we, we, um, our philosophies are aligned with that. So therefore AKA and the IUKL is, an, is the natural choice. Mm-hmm. Um, now how, uh, we, we touched on this before, but, um, I mean, how really has the competition climate changed uh, since the Ice Chamber's humble beginnings? I mean, uh, obviously the AKA seems like they're, they're, they've definitely ramped up um, the scheduling of competitions and things like that. We now have that, that full calendar of competitions. Um, it seems like we're making good progress on, on, on that front. Uh, yeah, how has that climate changed? I think it's, it's um, definitely... Um an arena now where you're, where we're, you know, attracting, um, not only lifters from, you know, from America, but we have like a, 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 you know, ridiculous group of, um, badass athletes coming from Canada, you know, uh, Brazil, Mexico, Argentina. So having, having the AKA as a anchor point to leverage all of these athletes it's just something that we haven't seen before. And it's, and it's a great positive uh, step forward for the sport. We need to have a unified body that can agree on the standards of what it is that we're doing. You know, I mean, we're, we're still at the stage where, you know, kettlebell sport needs to be popularized. And um, the best way to do it is to say, hey, these are the specific events and we want everybody to compete under these events and not necessarily have, you know, like cherry pick events that you, you like to compete in. And it's, it's, you know, ultimately it's, it's not a, it's not an exhibition or a showcase. It's, it's a competition and this is a sport. And, and, and if we, you know, um, subscribe to those philosophies and we will want to be in the same arena with the best athletes. Steve, what is the competition that you run out of your gym? Um, this is the West coast classic, uh, We've done it three years in a row, and it's just one of the uh, most um, amazing, energetic experiences that <laughs> it is. It really is. I've experienced myself. Totally. It's a very, it's a, it's a very, very um, positive atmosphere that um, uh, I believe helps the sport in general, and also help invigorate lifters to continue lifting and competing. And and Rachel and I went last year, of course, and, and we came back this year, and, uh, and, and we did largely because we did have so much fun, and it, and it was such uh, a um, a great experience, and and met lots of great people, uh, and of and of course, it, it's almost in 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 North America as as a amateur kettlebell lifter, it's it's you almost kind of feel obligated to help support your, your local competitions. So, um, we were only too glad, uh, to be there and, and help out on, on that front. And um, you guys, you guys, we really appreciate you guys for coming down, not only for, for your support, but also 
to display the technical and comp- competitive improvements you guys have made since last year. And if I'm not mistaken, both you and Rachel uh, went home with a t- top of the class in, 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 your, uh, in your category. So congratulations to you guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I have been working hard and it's been steady progress since the first time I competed with the 24. First time I, I snatched, I think it was one, 111. And then in Las Vegas, I just made rank at, at what I weighed in at, which was uh, 124 reps. And then at the West Coast Classic, um, I made 141 reps, which was a, a total PR for me. So I was stoked about that. That was awesome. And it felt really yeah, good. And that was important for me. Incredible set to watch. Talk about, you know, fighting to the finish. That, that, was, that was incredible. Yeah, my forms were balloons by the end of that. <laughs> um, n- now, uh, let's, let's come back around to, uh, to the ice chamber. You guys have a kettlebell certification, do you not? We do. We have an ice chamber uh, performance kettlebell certification. The level one is something that's been very popular. And um, we've certified, you know, professionals across the sphere from firefighters to um, yoga teachers to Pilates teachers to uh, kettlebell lifters. And um, thanks for bringing this up because I want to plug this in. We have one coming up on March 22nd um, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And then our next one is going to be in Chicago. Uh, uh, the day after the nationals on August 2nd. And that's what I, I, urban athlete, I think that is at urban athlete. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you mentioned all those different, uh, demographics. What, what's the specific mandate of the course? Like who's it geared towards and, and what d- is it designed to improve exactly? Great, great question. So the, the course is geared towards, um, people that want to teach and help other people learn kettlebell. So, so the intention here is to propagate the benefits of kettlebell lifting in, uh, in the most, um, uh, technical and efficient way. And it's also, um, a, uh, level one is also a general survey on what it means to be lifting in, in the way prescribed, uh, in the way that's prescribed for, um, you know, uh, and, and, an eventual or potential way into the sport as well. Personally, but also in the context of the future of the sport, how important was it for you guys to get this project off the ground? It was one of the, it was one of the um, core projects that we've been working on for several years. Um, we've been to lots of certifications ourselves. I'm not, not just in kettlebells, but you know, across the board. Um, and we haven't been able to find something um, that is working um, twofold. One, really getting the information out so that the instructors can feel confident teaching other people. And, and the other piece is definitely to help popularize the sport and, and bring awareness to this concept of that, you know, it's great that you have a kettlebell and you can exercise with it, but there's also this whole other component of competition that's available should you be interested. Steve, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Where can people uh, contact you guys and find out more about the Ice Chamber? Um, sure. People can contact me directly. They can contact me via email at um, steven at icechamber.com. Um, they can visit the Ice Chamber website. Uh, for people that want to get uh, to know about the culture and the lifestyle of kettlebell sport, they can visit icekbgirls.com, which is a really um, cool magazine-like uh, 
a venue for people to check out the going ons of uh, kettlebell sport in Americas. Um, you know, hey, I also want to say something, um, if, if I may. I'm just really, really impressed with the um, progress that the Canadians have made overall in the sport in such a short amount of time. Um, and, and because of that, I like to pay homage to you guys by going to the Canadian nationals. I will be there to help out and, um, hopefully I'll be able to bring several American lifters and, uh, see you guys there. We would be ecstatic, ecstatic to see you guys there. Uh, Rachel and I plan on going. Hopefully, uh, we can, uh, bring some familiar faces that you'll remember from the West coast classic and, uh, and we'll just make the most of it and, and see if we can, uh, you know, make some improvements on uh, what you've already seen. And I, I will bet my money that you will. I want to thank uh, Ballistic Strength and uh, everyone that's listening for taking the time to hear me uh, chatter about something that I love so much. And I, again, just can't thank you enough for taking the opportunity to talk to me. Thank you, Steve. I greatly appreciate it. You have yourself thank a great day, Steve. You too. Take care. <laughs>